So if today's text looks familiar to you, that means you're paying attention. Thank you. Because it's the same text we heard last week. From Ephesians. We've been looking at Ephesians the last couple of weeks. Pay attention to that. Because this book is written in an untimely way for this time. Note that the first three chapters of Ephesians tell us the theological rationale for why we should be reconciled to one another, why we should live as people in unity with one another. The second chapter tells us Jesus is our peace and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility between us. Then chapter 4 picks up and tells us how to live that out, what it looks like, what are the ethical implications of that, and how shall we live. Chapter 5 continues in that vein saying, peace begins in our homes, with our marriages and our children, and even with our slaves and our masters. Those are tricky verses in this that we have to be careful about. And as we have gone through, we've paid attention to a couple of really important words, one of them being therefore. So anytime that Paul says therefore in this text, we have to pick up and note what's being said because he's saying, hey, pay attention, this is therefore important to you. And here in chapter 6, he says, now finally, and finally is another one of those words that gives us a key to say, pay attention to what I'm saying This is important. And he goes on to warn about spiritual cosmic battles and warfare. That God provides human beings adequate resources to engage in that cosmic warfare. And that we are as Christians to stand. Yes. It's not on or it's too far away. It is on. It is on. Better? Okay. That we as Christians are to stand firm in our faith and in Jesus Christ in our convictions, not to be obnoxious or overbearing in those, but to simply maintain our posture based in our community, in our faith, in our prayer, in our focus in the continuing battle. And I want to pick up in the last part of this today to talk about what he says about prayer because I think it's very, very important. Because what he has pointed out to us is the weapons for Christians of the Spirit are prayer, Christian truth, and the Holy Spirit, all of which come to us through interacting with God. So, here we go. The sixth chapter, starting at the tenth verse of the book of Ephesians, reads like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day 
And having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness as the shoes for your feet. Put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And with all these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And this is where we focus today. Pray in the Spirit at all times, every prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert. And always persevere in supplication for all the saints. Pray also for me, so that when I speak, a message may be given to me to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it boldly, as I must speak. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was in seminary, I went to this, what was supposed to be this great conference of Presbyterians about spirituality. And there was a workshop on prayer and prayer journaling led by Roberta Hastings, who at that point was a superstar in our denomination, one of the only evangelical women to rise to any place of stature. And she talked a little bit about her prayer life and how she journaled. She talked, one of the things I remember is that she talked about having a publisher who wanted to publish her prayer journal. Can you imagine? She said, no, because there's names in there that I don't want people to know what I've said about them. I won't do that. But at one point, we broke up into small groups, and I was with us in a small group with an, an older gentleman that I do not forget. And he said to me, I've been a Presbyterian all my life. I work hard to be faithful. I attend church. I read my Bible. I do what I think a Christian is supposed to do. But I still always struggle with prayer. I know that I don't do it as often as I should. I know that I don't do it as well as I should. I maybe don't even do what I should be doing when I pray. And that kind of honesty was really touching to me, but it also, I think, said something very powerful about prayer and how we as Christian people approach it. So the statistics are this. 55% of Americans say that we pray every day. Another 21% say that they pray weekly or monthly. And 23% of people who are not affiliated at all with any religion, who are Americans, say 
They don't pray at all. Which leaves something like 19% of people who are affiliated, who are not affiliated, excuse me, who are not affiliated, who also pray regularly. I want you to think about that for a minute. To whom or to what are you praying if you're an atheist? Isn't that interesting that those folks claim that prayer is an important part of their lives? What are they doing? I think that's a fascinating statistic. I don't know what to do with it, but it's interesting to me. It's also interesting to me that only 55% of Americans claim to pray every day. Do you know what the number is in Afghanistan? 96%. Do you know why the difference? Because they're Muslims. And Islam is a religion of practice. Christianity is a religion of orthodoxy, of theology of belief. They have right practices. We have right beliefs. I think that makes it hard for us to engage in practices that will promote our faith life, like prayer and reading the Bible and being good stewards and engaging in Christian fellowship. I did a wedding recently for a friend of somebody else's wedding I had done, and the somebody else was there, and her mother is quite ill. She has rectal cancer, she has liver cancer, she has all kinds of things that have hit her very suddenly. It's put her family in a whirlwind. And this young woman said to me, you know, I'm talking to um, my spouse and saying, I realize that I don't even know how to pray. She said, how do you pray? How do you talk to God? What do you do? And her spouse said, just talk. Just talk like you're talking to a friend. God will hear you. God will respond to you. That is part of the promise that God gives to us. As Christians, we believe that we can live in a relationship with God that is personal. God is not some distant being out there that we can only relate to if we say the right things or do the right things. God is personal. Just like you might talk to a friend, you can talk to God. And that is what prayer is. But note that what Paul says in the Bible about prayer. He says over and over again, pray unceasingly. Don't ever stop praying. Everything you do should be a prayer. Everything that you are should relate to God. People always say things to me like, okay, can you pray now? And sometimes I say no, because I've been praying all day. I'm still praying standing here. 
because I have a different, a different idea about what prayer is, right? We pray unceasingly. We're always in prayer, always relating to God, always seeking God's way. Never outside the presence of God. Pay attention to what else Paul says. Over and over again, Paul says, pray in supplication. Now, what's supplication? Supplication is praying that needs will be supplied. People who know about prayer say, have an acronym, ACTS, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Those are kinds of prayers that are lifted up in the Bible. But Paul really particularly all the time emphasizes prayers of supplication. Pray not just that your own needs be supplied, but those of those around you, those of the people you know, those of the community in which you live, those in which the church in which you worship, those of the community of your family, those needs be supplied. And guess what? God responds to that. And I would also note, that one of the people you're supposed to pray in, public, in supplication for over and over again in at least six of the Pauline epistles, Paul says, pray for me. Me, the leader of your religious community, pray for me. Pray for your church, please. Pray for your church. Pray for your session. Pray for your deacons. Pray for your pastor. One of the things I love about being a person who's actively involved in another church as a pastor is that I can say to those people and do on a regular basis, pray for your pastors. Paul apparently was not too proud to say he needed that, so I'm going to follow that example. But pray for needs to be met. And the reason that Paul could say that so clearly and so often was that he knew that God answers those prayers. Now some of you are saying, I pray, my mother was dying and I prayed for my mother to live and be healed, and God didn't do that, so I know God doesn't answer prayers. And you're looking to me saying, answer that, Pastor. I can't. I don't know why some prayers get answered and others don't. I do trust that God is faithful to us as human beings and gives us what we need. Paul knew that. Paul was in prison when he wrote this, saying, pray for me and pray that God will meet your needs because that is the God that I know. I'm able to pray and be in relationship with that God, just like I'm in, able to be in a relationship with a friend. And because I know who that friend is, I know what he will do for you. 
Friends, pray unceasingly in supplication to our faithful God. You will see your needs will be met. Thanks be to God. Amen.